The first thing I want to do this morning is share with you 10 words that have the power to thoroughly change your life. I'm not even exaggerating a little bit. I know that sounds like a sales pitch, but I mean it. These two short sentences of five words apiece have something within them that has the ability to transform how you see and engage everything if you believe them. And if you speak them into and over your life frequently enough that they become a way in which you actually see the world around you as a reality defined by these truths. Some of you will be familiar with the words. They come from the first verse of Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Now the relationship between these two words or these two phrases is not hard to understand. The first one is is the basis for the second one. So let's camp out in the first one for a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. We talked yesterday about the importance of meditating on scripture. And one of the most simple ways that you can do that is take a phrase like this and just slowly think through all the different parts of the phrase. So let's do that together. The Lord, that's, that's kind of the way this begins. The Lord is two English words that translate one word in the original Hebrew. It's the word Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the name that God gave himself as a description of who he is. It's translated the Lord out of respect for his name. It's put in all caps so that we recognize something special is going on here. This is basically the God you know. The God who delivered Israel sent Jesus these things. We're talking about the God that you are being asked and invited to worship. The Lord is my shepherd. So shepherd is kind of the metaphor that's operating here. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in a concrete jungle called the city. I don't know a whole lot about shepherds by personal experience, but I've seen and learned enough to know that they oversee sheep. That's what you came to be told this morning. Then I've also heard enough about how dumb sheep can be. Sheep just sort of wander all over the place, kind of like, well, me. And shepherds are the ones who protect them, who keep them safe, who defend them from the larger, more dangerous animals that try to attack them, who protect them from their own instincts as they try to wander off all these places. Shepherd is a leader who guides and protects. And this is what the statement is saying that God does for who? My. I think it's important in this case that the word is not our. Our is a wonderful word, and there's a time to say that the Lord is our shepherd. This one says the Lord is my shepherd. He guides and protects me. I am at times part of the 99, but I am also at other times the one. And then here's the last word. Don't overlook it. It's so small. We see it all the time. Is. Not the Lord will be my shepherd. Not the Lord was my shepherd. Not the Lord is my shepherd in seasons where it's fairly easy to see his presence. The Lord is my shepherd now. Anyway, that's the first phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. And therefore, on the basis of this truth, you have the second phrase. I have everything I need. I lack nothing. My life is not without that which is necessary for my life to continue. I am satisfied. That's the one word I want to hold before your minds this morning. Satisfied. It's no secret that one of the experiences that unites us all as human beings is that we desire things. And more specifically, we desire things that we don't currently have. We want something. We're after something that's not currently in our possession. We're looking for something that we haven't yet found. Our stories symbolize this desire, symbolize this pursuit in objects or places. So you have things like infinity stones or horcruxes or the fountain of youth or Atlantis. The specific flavors, you know, vary based on the story. But in all these cases, what you'll notice is consistent is the idea that if you find this thing, then you will have found what you need. 
The actual concept has gone by different names throughout history. If any of you have super nerds, maybe you recognize the word eudaimonia. Most of you probably not, but you know words like pleasure, well-being, meaning, purpose, contentment, happiness, satisfaction. Now, you can call it what you want. It goes by different names, but on most of these lists, you will find the word or the idea of satisfaction. To have everything you need and to know that you have everything you need. That is something that each of us hopes to find. Eventually, I believe that Jesus brings satisfaction. I believe that Jesus opens up and offers to us the most reliable path on offer toward satisfaction. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to oversell things. I don't want to sound like I'm saying, you know, if you just turn your attention and your affections toward Jesus today, then you can have everything you need. Then your life is just going to be wonderful. I think you probably know that's not what I'm saying. No, this is something that takes place over time. And as we're going to see in the passage of Scripture that we're studying today, it's something that ultimately gets fulfilled in eternity. So I'm not saying if you turn your attention to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. But I am saying that eventually, if you stay with Jesus, all of your problems are going to go away. And all along the whole way, you're going to realize that even though the problems are still there, you have what you need. I think it is critical that we know and believe this. I think it is critical that we have the confidence born out of personal experience that Jesus satisfies. Gosh, for one thing, I think the world needs this. I don't know if you noticed this, but the world is not doing real well today. Go check your timeline, you know what I'm saying? Go watch the news or look at a news website. Just go into a public place and holler, Donald Trump, or holler, wall, or holler, government shutdown, or holler, a man is a man, or holler, a man can become a woman, and see what happens. And I'm not trying to dog any particular person or group of people. I'm just saying our world is obviously somewhat confused about some important things and at each other's throats. And what the world needs is the gospel. So let me put it this way. What I think our world needs to see is satisfied Christians. I think that on the high list of things that the people who you go to school with and who you rub shoulders with on a daily basis need is to see you genuinely content in Jesus. And now obviously what the world needs most is the gospel. Gosh, part of why we're here, like the reason Ozark exists is so that people who don't believe in Jesus will have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, to this mission that we've been given to take this good news to everyone. But the gospel sometimes has a hard time getting a hearing. You know, like you all know people who just don't really want to talk about faith. They don't want to talk about religion. They don't want to talk about Jesus. And that's like understandable at some level. And so the thing that's going to win the gospel of hearing is if you not try to be perfect, but you actually are a person in all of your imperfection who is genuinely content in Jesus. I hesitate to put this in marketing terms, but nothing sells like a satisfied customer. And by God's plan, this is where we come into the picture because we become these living demonstrations, these witnesses is the biblical word that can say, hey, listen, if you want what it is you deeply seek, I can tell you where to find it. It's not just for other people either. You need this. Now, one of, the, one of my favorite books in the Bible is a book called Proverbs. It's just got a bunch of wise sayings in it. One of them is in Proverbs 27, verse 7. Here's what Proverbs 27 says. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Now, it's a bit early for some Proverbs action, so let me kind of break this down. What is he saying? What he's saying is, if you're full, even good food doesn't seem appealing to you. Even something that looks really sweet and tasty It's just, you're not going to want it. Have you ever been in a situation where you're so full, you could be looking at like the best bowl of ice cream covered with brownies and syrup that you've ever seen, and you're like, man, that looks good, but no thanks. On the other hand, have you ever been so hungry that it didn't matter what somebody put in front of your face, you were probably going to take a bite of it? That's what the proverb is talking about at a soul level. If your soul is satisfied, then it doesn't matter what the world is offering you. If it's not, then it doesn't matter what the world is offering you. 
you're probably going to say yes. We want to be people who see the food that the world offers and can say, no thanks. Not because we're scared or defensive, but because we actually have something better. I believe that Jesus brings genuine contentment. I don't think we have to trick ourselves into thinking that Jesus satisfies. I believe that he does, and I'm pretty sure Paul agrees. If you read the book of Philippians from cover to cover, and you back up and you try to describe this person, Paul, who's writing the letter, I think one of the words that you'll see here is the word contentment, is the word satisfaction. I think that that's how you'd describe this person. He kind of brackets his letter in ways that testify to this. At the beginning part of the letter to the Philippians, Paul's talking about how he's in prison. He's stuck. We talked about this situation yesterday. But what he says in that whole first chapter is, guys, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. This is actually turning out for the good. It's, I don't mind. It's all good. And when you get to the end of the letter, he's talking about whether or not they're going to financially support him so that, you know, he has like food to eat and everything. And what he says in that situation is, guys, I'm thankful for your gifts, but just so you know, I'm good. And there's that famous verse in there. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We turn this into a verse that means that we could succeed at whatever we're trying to do. That's not what it means. In context, Paul is pretty clearly saying, even if I can't succeed in all the things that I want to do, I'm fine. I'm okay failing, it's okay. And so from start to finish, Paul is saying, guys, I'm good. And from start to finish, the reason why Paul's able to say this stays consistent, it's Jesus. Chapter one, I'm in prison, okay, fine, but actually the result is the gospel's getting out. Yeah, but some people out there are causing trouble for you. Okay, fine, but Christ is being preached. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter four, like, why are you okay failing? Well, because even if I fail, I still have what? I still have Jesus. And you see this in the text that we're going to unpack today as well. Chapter 3. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Take a peek there. I'm going to give you a minute. We're going to look at the first section of this, and uh, I'm going to kind of talk you through this. I'm pretty excited about our morning today, not, not mainly because of what I have to say, although I'm excited to share with you from the Word, but what I want to try to do is fairly, fairly quickly and tightly talk you through this text, bring out some of the key things that are there, and then I'm actually going to bring up a couple of my students and friends uh, to talk to you about what it, they, they just had this class with me, actually. They just studied Philippians this last semester, and I want to talk to them about what Philippians has done in their lives, and you can see from some of our current students um, some of how uh, the Bible works in them. So anyway, I'm excited to kind of introduce the basic framework and then invite them up. Uh, but Philippians chapter 3, with, with minimal commentary, here's what's going on. Paul's basically telling his story. So it starts, if you're looking at it, with this word further, which means he's ready to continue his thoughts, which is further, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, I know you've heard me say this before, but I'm okay repeating it because it's going to help protect you from the things that may get in your way. Now, the next part is kind of weird. He starts to warn them. He says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those doers of bad works. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about how there are other people in, in their world who are going to show up and they're going to say, if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to be an actual good person, then you've got to do these things on this list. You've got to follow by these rules. And he's specifically talking about people saying, you got to follow all the Old Testament laws. you got to be circumcised and submit yourself, not just to Jesus, but to the law in a very concrete way. And he's saying, watch out for people who tell you you need more than Jesus. And then he turns it around and says, for it is we who are the circumcision, that is the people of God. We who serve God by his spirit. We who, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And this is where he turns and starts to share his story. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He's bragging a little bit. I think he's kind of being sarcastic. I think if he was like himself here preaching it, he would just sort of get this snooty look on his face to make sure that you know he's kind of being a little bit silly. But he's also telling the truth. 
He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists out his accomplishments. He gives you seven of them because that's a good solid number. He says, look, I am, he says, what? look, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law says. I'm of the people of Israel, so I'm an Israelite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. You don't know this, but this is the tribe that gave Israel her first king. Kind of cool. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means I speak all the languages. And then he starts talking about his accomplishments. In regards to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I take it more seriously than anybody. As for zeal, look, I persecuted the church, all right? Nobody's got more passion for this stuff than I do. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So these things don't mean a whole lot to you, but what he's saying is, according to the standards of success in my world, I've accomplished it all. But then look at what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I used to think this was a benefit. Now I see it as a deduction. I used to be proud of this. Now I see that it doesn't mean anything at all. And then he goes one step further and says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We're gonna unpack that phrase in a minute. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them, everybody say garbage. Everybody say rubbish. That was the old translation. Everybody say scubala. That's the Greek word under here. It's a nasty word. I don't think it's quite a swear word. I kind of think it's, it's funny to think about if Paul was swearing at people. I don't think he's really swearing at people, but it's a gross word. It's like a, it's a word that just means like the nastiest thing you could think of. So like, how many of y'all got younger siblings? And you got younger, younger siblings or, okay, most of you. So yeah, like, you know, the little kids, well, they wear diapers, which means they do business in their diapers. And so, you know, you got to change the diapers. And then usually after you change the diapers, you put the, you put the diaper in this little thing called the diaper genie. You ever seen these things? Y'all don't, maybe don't know what this is, but it's this little, you put the diaper inside and it goes in this bag and, and, the, and the machine is designed in such a way that it protects you from the smell. So that way you don't have to type every individual diaper. So you put them in the diaper genie and at a certain point that thing is full right? So then you got you to change it, right? Then you got like, to like take it out. So you got to open that sucker up and pull the plastic down and, and you got to cut it off a little bit. And at that point, you're like, whoa, this is nasty. And then you tie it off and you take it out and you put it in the trash can. That's nasty. Except imagine this. Imagine if you take it out and put it in the trash can, it's the middle of July, right? So it's hot. You put it in the trash can on Monday because the thing was full on Monday, but the trash doesn't come till Friday. You go out Thursday night to take out the trash, open that sucker up to put the last bag in and take it out to the curb. You ever just been in a situation where the smell so nasty just hits you? It just almost feels physical, like it just pops you in the face. That, I think, is the best image to describe what Paul's saying. Scubala, nasty, sewage, gross, filth. I consider my accomplishments filth because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is not a normal attitude. Now, you, you guys and the people around you aren't going around bragging about whether or not you're circumcised and whether or not you're an Israelite or some of these various things, but you guys get this. Like everybody's trying to accomplish something. We're all looking to get somewhere. Some people like their goal is pleasure. I just, I just want pleasure of various kinds. It could be somebody who just, all they want to do is have as many sexual escapades as they can. Or maybe for somebody else, it's food. I just want to enjoy food. Like, that's just what I care about more than anything else. Maybe it's drink. Maybe it's any number of things. Other people, it's not so much about, like, pleasing my own flesh. Other people, like, for them, what they want to do is they want to accomplish something for somebody else. Some activists, you know, like, we want to make a difference in the world. We want to have an impact so that people will know that we were here and that we helped them. And they will look to us and say thank you. Still others are just looking to succeed. For any number of different ways. Some of you all care and your peers care about athletic success or artistic success or academic success. I mean, the sky's the limit. You guys get this though. People give themselves to some task. And Paul is saying, whatever it is that your community thinks is cool, whatever it is that you prize as the goal, it's not what you think. He says, I consider all these things garbage 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me continue what he says. For whose sake I have lost all things. And he goes on to talk about how I consider them a loss because so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's go and read the rest of the text. To gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he says again, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Then he continues on, though, and says, well, like, I know that sounds all fancy, guys. Don't think that I'm already there. Not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is Paul telling us his story. This is Paul claiming to us that all of the other things he looks to compared to Jesus are garbage. Paul thinks Jesus is that good. And I'll be front with you guys, I'll be real, Ozark completely agrees. We do everything we do because of Jesus. Like, duh, but no, for real, you need to understand this. One of the quotes that you'll probably hear today, or you'll see it on the walls around here, it's probably spoken on a weekly basis on this campus. And it comes from the founding dean, I mentioned his name yesterday, Seth Wilson, who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. You need to know that that's the driving passion of this institution, of this vision called Ozark. Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. We think knowledge matters. We think how much you love Jesus matters more. Our current Dean Doug Aldridge says in more simple terms, Ozark Christian College is a Jesus school. And from the very beginning, our school has seven core values. And the number one core value, it is still the most important one. I mentioned it yesterday. From the beginning and continuing on today, our number one core value is that we want to teach the word of Christ in the spirit of Christ. There are only a few words repeated in that statement. The, of, and Christ. The and of just happen to be repeated. Christ is intentional because we want to teach the message about Christ in the spirit of Christ. We believe that what you always need most is a clear vision of Jesus, and we exist to try to help you get that. I quoted that old magazine from 1955 about the importance of the Bible, the curriculum here. It continues on and says, the course of study at Ozark is designed to strengthen faith in Christ, to deepen love for Christ, and to stimulate passion for Christ. This has always been who we are, and it will always be who we will be. If you come to Ozark, you will be given every opportunity to find satisfaction by getting to know Jesus. But this just raises the question, whether or not you're coming to Ozark at this point, I don't care. I'm just speaking to you right now. We don't know where you're going to go in the future. We don't even know if your future is going to exist. We don't know how long we're going to be alive. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. All we have right now is the present moment. And the present moment, I want to ask you a question. What's so wonderful about Jesus? And don't just give me the churchy answer. Because you're going to get to a point in your life when the churchy answer doesn't work anymore. What's so wonderful about this person? The intelligent Decent people would look at other accomplishments and say, they don't compare. They're gross compared to the glory of Jesus. What is it about him that stands out in these ways? Paul believes that Jesus satisfies. I believe that Jesus satisfies. Ozark believes that Jesus satisfies. But in this moment, who cares? The question is, do you? Do you believe to your core that Jesus offers the most reliable path to lasting satisfaction, that life with Jesus is better than life without him? You know, the cost of following Jesus is not getting smaller. If anything, it's getting sharper and more obvious 
and more painful. 50 years ago, if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, it was socially respectable. It would benefit you. You'd probably get some business opportunities as a result of putting that little Jesus fish up on your sign. You know what I'm saying? 20 years ago, it wouldn't necessarily help you, but it wouldn't necessarily hurt you either. It was kind of a wash. Now, oh man, I pray for you guys. We pray for our children. We think about the world in which they're walking. I'm not afraid. Jesus is going to be fine. Church is going to be fine, but it's going to get hard. And there's going to be a lot of people who don't make it. I don't care what you're going into, medicine, law, education, whatever, ministry, like there's going to be obstacles for you and following Jesus is going to make some of these things harder. Some of you have already experienced this as you've wrestled with whether or not to come to this college. Some of you, the reason why you're not sure about coming here is because God forbid maybe your mom or dad is saying, no, I don't want you to, I don't want to waste our money. For some of you, it's because you've sat across the, the desk from a guidance counselor who said, oh, you, what, what's this called, Ozark? No, 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 you need to go ahead and take that one off the list. And I'm not trying to knock your guidance counselor, and I'm certainly not trying to dishonor your parents. And I'm also not saying that this place is for everyone. Like, all the caveats aside, it is not necessarily impressive to the world to say, I'm going to go study the Bible in college and then also learn my trade. That's what we're inviting you to do. So where are you? Do you think the cost is worth it? What I want to do, and again, I'm going to try to keep this tight. What I want to do is I want to look um, for the last few minutes of my time talking. I'm, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. I want you to hear from some others. Is I want to walk through and show you three things that Paul says Jesus offers us. Three reasons why, why following Jesus is worth it. Coming out of Philippians 3, and I'm going to explain them ever so briefly. All right, I'm not going to give you the full spiel. I'm just going to keep it real tight. And then I want to invite my friends up here in just a few minutes. So three things uh, from Philippians 3, three reasons why Jesus is worth it. If you're a note taker, write these down. Number one, if you follow Jesus, if you stay with him, you enjoy a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe. A personal relationship with Jesus. Let me draw your attention to some of the details in this text. Paul says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the only phrase we really need. Two details. Number one, my Lord. This is the only time in his letters when he calls Jesus, my Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Second word I want you to notice is the word know, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This doesn't just mean you know some facts about a person. This is actually the same word that in other contexts refers, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament, it says, uh, literally, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, if you understand what I'm saying. Now, this word, no, doesn't necessarily mean sexual intercourse, but the fact that it could be used for that context shows you that this is a personal type of knowledge. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know if you've been told that Christianity offers you a personal relationship with Jesus. Sometimes people avoid this language because it sounds strange. He's not actually here physically, so it's not the normal kind of relationship we have with each other. Yeah, I get that. But I want to be very clear that this is precisely what the gospel offers you, a personal relationship with Jesus, who is simultaneously your friend and the Lord of the universe, the one who has more power than anyone. That's the first thing that the gospel offers you. Second thing that you're offered here is that your status before God uh, will not be based on your religious performance. Uh, let me tell you a real quick story. There was um, uh, some parents that came to their pastor and said, uh, we, got, we got a girl, she's, um, she's I think 12, 13 years old, 6th, 7th grade, uh, middle school girl, a little bit longer than, younger than you guys. She's just, she's kind of struggling. Honestly, she just kind of seems depressed. She's just super sad and she's having trouble at school and we wonder if you would talk to her. And the pastor's thinking, oh, no problem. You know, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on junior hires, but I love everybody, love junior hires, think they're fascinating, bring her in, let's talk. So she comes in and he's talking to her and he's like, well, what, sweetheart, what's the problem? And she said, well, I'm just sad. I just am depressed, like my friends are being mean to me. And, and honestly, 
like, I like this boy and he doesn't like me back. And the guy's like, okay, totally get it. You know, typical junior high stuff. Don't want to minimize it. These things hurt when you're in the middle of them. Uh, But he had actually just preached a sermon where he laid out the gospel. And he had talked about how God loves us no matter what, even if we, uh, you know, it's not about our perfection. It's about Jesus dying in our place because he died in our place. We're accepted into God's presence. And and he he thought, well, did did you happen to hear the sermon on Sunday? And she said, oh, yeah. Okay, well, you know, what, 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 can you tell me, tell back to me what you think I said? And he's thinking she probably wasn't paying any attention. And she like basically quotes the sermon back to him. I mean, a perfect gospel presentation about how even if everything else in your life is falling apart, God still loves you and he still wants you to be near him and all these things. And the pastor's like, this is great. This is amazing. This is going to be so easy. And then after she finished, he said, well, cool. Like, doesn't that make you feel better? And the little girl said, well, I mean, well, No. Because this, like I told you this, I like this boy and he doesn't like me back, you know. And what that, what that story illustrates to me, and the pastor who is telling the story talks about this, is if you want to find joy and rest in the gospel, uh, you've got to kind of make two moves. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Each of us is looking for approval from someone for something. Everybody. Everybody is looking for somebody to affirm them on some basis. For some of you, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's, it's your mother or your father. Uh, you, they just they never seem like it's enough. It's no matter what you do, it just, you, they, you don't feel like you have their, their unconditional love. Maybe it's, you know, you have to perform academically or, or they won't love you. Or maybe it's, you know, like you need to play the sport that your dad played or you need to accomplish this thing that your mom wanted to but couldn't. And if you do that, then it feels like they'll love you. And so you do what you can to try to please them. But in the end, like, it's like, it just never feels like it's enough. Or maybe it's not a parent for you. I mean, at this age in your life, it's a lot, in a lot of cases, it's, it's, it's your friends, it's your peers. Like what you need is approval from your peers. Maybe it's just one particular group. Maybe it's your clique. Maybe it's the cool kids. Who knows what it is, but there's some group or individual within your peer circles and you just want them to like you. And if you would do this thing, then you, then you think they would like you. We spend our whole lives wasting our energy and efforts trying to get people to accept us on the basis of something that we can do. Now, what happens is a lot of times when people come to faith, when they decide to be a worshiper or a follower of Jesus, it's like they put God in that top spot, which is important. Like this is step one, that you make God the person whose approval that you're seeking. Like if he is the one who cares, then you're good. But a lot of times we stop there, okay? And we don't continue on to recognize that God actually approves of me on the basis of Jesus's death for me. And so we find ourselves trying really hard religiously, but never feeling like God actually loves us. Or you do the opposite problem. You like believe to your core that God accepts you, even though you're imperfect, but you're still seeking someone else's approval. And so his approval, his acceptance into his presence doesn't bring you joy. What Paul is talking about when he says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ is... God accepts me on the basis of Jesus' death for me and my trusting in him. And in this, I find joy. So if you want to be a person of joy in what Jesus offers you, then you let God's opinion of you define you and you let Christ's death define God's opinion of you. That's the second thing that is offered to you in the faith. The third thing, I spent a little more time, I planned on that one, so this one will be extra tight. Your present sufferings anticipate eternal life. I appreciate what Paul does in Philippians 3 when he backs off and says, guys, don't think I've experienced all of this. I'm looking forward to this resurrection life, joy and power and transformation. But in the meantime, like I'm getting there, 
But it hurts sometimes because I'm participating in the sufferings of Jesus. Here's what I want to say to you in this, in this regard. It's sort of like, um, some of you guys will get this. It's like, have you ever, for a reading assignment in English class, like you ever get to that point in the night before, you're like, I didn't read the book, but you need to be, write the report, right? It's like, what do you do? Like, you read to the end, right? Like, you read the last chapter to see how the story turned out. You don't read to the middle, if you want to understand like the way a story resolves, what you don't do is you don't go find the middle chapter and read it. And you don't walk away going, well, clearly I know where this is going. No, like if you're at a crunch for time, you read the end and then you kind of figure out how everything worked its way to that point. What Paul is saying in this context is if you want to evaluate your life, do not evaluate today in light of today. That's like reading the middle of the book. That doesn't tell you anything. Evaluate today in light of the end. Evaluate today in light of eternity. Because if you read to the end, what you'll discover is a resolution that makes sense of the present moment. What he is saying in this text is, I want you to think about your life along the same story of Jesus's life. First came death and then came life. Right now, we still live in a world that's characterized by death and we ourselves are in certain ways contaminated with it. We're in the process of redemption, but it's not complete. But he's saying, this is the middle chapter, look to the end. Your present sufferings are anticipating for you an eternal reward. So you get a relationship, you get rest in the gospel, and you get a reward. And this reward, the glory that will be revealed in you is so great that it's not even worth comparing the sufferings that you're currently going through. It is that good. He is that good. So enough from me. What I wanna do is invite two of my friends up. So everybody say, welcome Logan. And welcome Ashton. All right, nice, that was with some fire. You guys come on up here, thank you. Where, oh, here's the other stool, they got it right here. Okay, so let me introduce these two students to you. They are, I love all my students, but um, I don't necessarily have favorites, but I just adore these two. So they're great. You guys know Logan, he's been uh, playing music for us and leading us in worship. This is Ashton, she is a senior here as well, right? Is junior here, okay, so we got more time with you, great. So I have both these two in class this semester and always enjoy having them in class. But the reason I wanted to pull them up here was last semester, fall semester of this school year, I had both of them in a class called Galatians and Philippians where we were studying Philippians. And so they just studied this book. So a couple of questions for you guys. First question is, you know, you heard the message last night talking about how the gospel makes us wise by drawing us toward scripture. And you just heard the one now that, you know, that Jesus brings contentment. So if you would speak from a student perspective, I'm not here telling them, hey, you know, part of what happens when you come here is that you become wiser and that you learned to be satisfied in Jesus. Pick one or both of those if you want and just say a few things about what your experience of that has been like as a student here at Ozark. Um, speaking specifically for that class, um, Michael unpacked it in a way that I never really thought about it before. Uh, people have always talked about Philippians as a book of joy, which it is. Uh, Paul seems like he really is satisfied in the gospel and seems filled with joy even though he's writing it while being in prison. But Michael also gave it this, this little um, one-word summary, I guess, uh, about living a life of cruciformity, which means taking the form of, cro or taking the form of the cross, taking the form of sacrifice, and humility and reading it through that lens and um, having to constantly read it. I think we read through it like seven times or something like that in the semester. You're welcome for that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, honestly. Like people sometimes complain, oh, I've got to read the Bible for homework. I'm just like, what are you complaining about? Like you got to be immersed in the word of God. What other place is there that does that? Like, so 
you know, for your youth leaders and for your youth pastors, like all you students out there, don't complain when they tell you to read your Bible because it's actually really important and it's really good. And this place has taught me to uh, be immersed in scripture and seeing the words of Paul and seeing the attitude of Paul and seeing how he really wants to be like Jesus. It really struck me and that living a life of cruciformity, of humility and sacrifice and thinking of others as more important as, or more important than myself has rung with me from that class. And it's something that um, just is in the back of my mind and is really driving me this year, honestly. So, um, Good, yeah. I got a follow-up for you, but I want to hear Ashton first. So the thing Michael said to me during class was that all of the ways you think your story doesn't point to the gospel is most likely the ways that it does. So your biggest failings, everything that you want to put aside when you get up in the mirror, they're the things you don't want to look at. He's telling me that those are the very things that you have the freedom in Christ to go to him and say, hey, this is all I have, all the gunk, all the muck, everything that's ugly about me, this is it. What are you going to do with it? And he comes up to you and he grabs your hand and accepts you. And that's something that wasn't as much as I've been at this school. I've been at this school for, I'm a junior technically, but for a while. Um, (laughs) And that's something that doesn't actually, it's not a given. It's not something that you just grasp. So it's something that it takes time and it takes someone like Michael over you to help you understand that and speak Jesus into your life, but that's what it is. It's the story, your story, the parts that you don't think point to Jesus that will actually point people to him the most. And it helps you be content in that, in your failings and in your sufferings. Okay, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I want to go with it, is these ideas of satisfaction and wisdom. My next question is something like, do you feel wise? Do you feel satisfied? Do you feel more or less than before? And kind of how has that worked? You kind of just answered that a little bit. So part of the contentment piece for you has been recognizing that he's present in those ways. Do you feel wise? Are you wise having studied the scriptures now for a few years in this context? I'm wiser. Yeah. Wiser. Okay. Same for you. Uh, I sure wouldn't call myself wise, you know, per se. I would definitely say I'm wiser than when I came in though. Yeah. And honestly, I I was hoping you guys would say something like that so that it would enable me to say this, that um, that in and of itself, that answer is the answer of a person who's becoming wiser. Like if you if I asked Logan when he was a freshman here, are you wise? He probably would have been like, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty wise, you know, but uh, part of the growth in wisdom is now he's saying, "Uh, actually, I've realized the extent to which I'm not but I'm, I'm growing more and more in that direction every day. Okay, so um, we don't have a ton of time. Let me just do this. Let me ask you guys the question, is there anything else um, from, from Philippians that you want to say to these students? Yeah, I think it just goes along with what I said. Um, there's nothing you can do that is going to separate you from Christ. And you find that in about every book of the Bible, but in Philippians, it comes in a certain way that says, hey, what you're feeling, what you're going through, your sufferings, if you will just come and talk to me about it, if you will just come and spend time with me, I'm not saying it's not going to hurt, I'm not saying it's going to go away, but I am saying the things that shook you to your core before are not going to affect you the way they did. 
It's a way you spend time with him. And the more you spend time with Jesus, it's like the more you spend, like if I spent time with Logan, I would pick up some of the things he said. I would steal his personality traits. It's a thing. It you is. steal your friend's personality yeah. traits. Vice versa, probably. Yeah, you do that. And you do the same thing with Jesus. Just because he's not here in the flesh, it doesn't make any difference. And you, the more you pick up on what he's doing, the more you start to see things the way he sees them. And when you do that, the things that just knocked you out, you can stand and stand strong during them. And that's um, something we learned in Philippians. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Good. What about you? Um, I think one thing that has stuck with me is right at the very beginning of the book, Paul says that his prayer for these people in Philippi is that they would grow in knowledge and depth of insight and in love and something that sticks with me. Sometimes, you know, the, the semester schoolwork does get really hard and I mean, the life itself just happens and um, sometimes doing homework, even reading the Bible, you know, oh no, Bible college students said that reading the Bible can be kind of a burden sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the point of what Paul is trying to say and the point of, you know, being in relationship with Christ is not just something to do. It's not just something to make yourself, you know, feel better. It's something that, you know, when you're in a real relationship with a real person, when you're in that relationship with Christ is for the sake of growing in knowledge and depth of insight and growing in, in this love when, kind of what you were saying, like when you spend time with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. And when you learn about him, when you learn the kind of person that he is and how much he really does love you, that love will enter your heart if you let it and it will be able to go out into the rest of the world because the world really does need more of that kind of love in it. Good, man, so good. All right, I'd love to talk to you guys all day. One more, and uh, let's see. I'm gonna come to you on Ashton. I'm coming to you on this one, Ashton. Logan, since they're getting to have you blessed by leading us in worship, we'll have Ashton close us down here. So these students are out here, and uh, you know they're here not only to learn about Jesus, but to consider coming to Ozark. Some of them will, some of them won't, some of them should, some of them shouldn't. shouldn't. What would you say to them as they try to process uh, you know, is this a good place for me? Is God calling me here? Do I want to come here? Do I want to do something else? How, how can you speak into them as they wrestle with that particular decision? Yeah, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got during this time, during when I was where you are, was that no matter what you choose, it's not necessarily a wrong choice. Mm -hmm. So if you come or if you don't, it's not like God's going to be like, you did not listen, and now I'm not talking to you. It's not gonna be like that. It's, mm -hmm. He's gonna work with you where you are. Now, if you do wanna come here, I will say that there is something really special about being under people who live their life for Jesus. That's not something that's actually normal. It's something that we take for granted. So just for example, Michael, you've heard him talking. We get to sit under him during class and we get to hear this and we get to hear it in more depth and more stories. He'll meet with you outside of class. He will work and let you know that he cares about you. And it's a way that you won't be left hanging. It's just kind of a way that you, um, no matter what you need, no matter what you're going through, there are people here who will be for you, be here for you. Um, yeah, and it's just, there's so, there's so many things I could say that that's sure. really hard to just sum yeah, up. Yeah, no, like I appreciate it. That's so good, yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that, um, again, I'm not dogging anybody or any place or anything. There's a thousand different ways to be faithful to the Lord. Um, but one of the things that I think is unique about the Ozark faculty is our leadership, our administration hires people who 
um, are able to be good professors, you know, are able to study and teach in those things, but who have a pastoral heart. And we're all different, man. We all have so many different uniquenesses and some people connect with some and not others and, you know, all those different sorts of things. But your teachers love you. It's legit. It's for real. We really do and, and they really will. So um, let me pray for our, our um, kind of wrap up this portion and I think we're going to continue worshiping for a little bit more this morning. Father God, thanks so much for Ashton and Logan for sure. Thank you for all the students who are here. Um, and we just pray that you would continue to move. Uh, it's just one of... One one of uh, one weekend in our lives that you're moving in. And so we pray, God, that this would be one in which we take a step closer to you. If that means those aren't great, if it doesn't, great. But help us to take steps closer to you and to find rest in the gospel and in the way that you've saved us. So bless our time as we continue to sing this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.